Hello and welcome to Medium Salt, the podcast that probably wouldn't pass the Hayes Code when we talk about nostalgia and media from the 90s and how it shapes us as individuals and society. I will be one of your hosts today. My name is Matt and I am joined by my very, 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 very good friend, Kate. Today is a light salt episode, a shorter format where we cover topics rather than films and we have a timer set so we don't take over your whole day. Uh, In this episode, we will be talking about the MPAA rating system for movies, or rather I should say the MPA rating system for movies. What it is, it's history and kind of the overall history of film censorship in the U.S. But first, Kate, how are you? I cannot cannot convey to you how much I love hearing you say but first. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I am really tired today, but it's a good tired because I've been very, very social these last four days. I've seen a lot of friends I don't get to see very often, which is fantastic. But also now I kind of just want to sit quietly in a room and contemplate the void. So Yeah. Yeah. So instead I'm gonna make you listen to my long lecture on You know what? <laughs> film history ratings. <laughs> It's interesting because the way that I describe your and my friendship to people is that you and I both share the same sort of cynical French philosopher as a soul. So we get along (laughs) well because of this. And so it doesn't feel like work to talk to you because it's just like, well, yeah, that's Matt. You're just like a foil of me out in the world somewhere. You know, like we didn't really talk for a while because of life or whatever. And then we came back together and we're like, oh, you like this too? Me too. Oh, you do this too? Me too. And we have like... 17 different very niche things that overlap that we enjoy and it's fantastic so yeah yeah that that's always wild because like we didn't like we just weren't in touch with each other for yeah. like a good while like five six years something like even maybe You're longer than the, that um on the measure of years like you came to my wedding yeah. at some point i moved to dallas and we reconnected really well and that was nice yeah. But yeah, it was just like the life thing right like you yeah. have a family i have a family we're moving around we have jobs yeah. and uh, taxes. And yet somehow we still all like the same things, despite, you know, growing and all the change that happens. <laughs> I know. It's great. <laughs> it's pretty good. But yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm excited to be here with you today. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm, I am also excited to be here and recording with you today. Um, so this is going to, you know, this is going to release like a, you know, a month from now or something, but we are about to go public. Yeah. Um, we're about to publish the podcast and I am super jazzed. I know. I am just like, all about it. Um, I'm going to be really, really excited the first time someone I don't know listens to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to take everything in me not to be like, I'm going to email this person. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be my best friend. <laughs> yeah, so just to warn you, you do run that risk. So <laughs> if you yeah. listen to our podcast. That's great. But yeah, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to work on something with you. It also feels like important work. It feels like This is a really good thing to put out into the world in a time where lots of things are shifting and lots of questions about interactions with media and what it means for our normal life are just in in the, I guess, cultural consciousness, right? Like You have a lot of Mm -hmm. the whole cancel culture thing and yeah. But anyway, so MPAA ratings... I kind of want to try to tell you what my understanding of them is. Okay. 
because it's terrible. And then you can tell me how wrong I am. And that sounds fun. That yeah. Sound fun? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's launch right into it. If, uh, oh, we can also banter more if you would like, I do love I banter. I like banter. I was going to talk a little bit about Octo- Octavia Butler and Parable <gasps> of the Sower. Yes. I have that on my bookshelf and I have been meaning to read it for so long because I've heard such good things about Octavia Butler. So please tell me, but don't spoil right. anything. I'm not going to spoil anything specific. Oh, just general things. Just, like, so <laughs> here's the deal with Parable of the Sower, right? Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly well-written book and will take you on an emotional journey to all kinds of places. It's heavy. Yeah, that is what I've heard, which is one it of the is reasons a I have not book. picked it up. Mm-hmm. Let's put it this way. It was originally planned as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Octavia finished the second book and couldn't finish the trilogy because it was just too much of a downer. Wow. It was just too heavy and too hard. And I finished reading Parable of the Sower, and it was moving. And I have no desire whatsoever to pick up the sequel. Because I, I don't think my I could handle it, especially in the time like with COVID twenty twenty, all that jazz. I am not touching that. <laughs> at I, all. I completely understand. There is a subset of media that I have firmly put into a list where I have to be in a very specific mood to consume it, and it has to be usually a really good mood because I know mm. that it will bring me down. Yes, like, absolutely. And, and Parable uh, of Sower is definitely one of those. I really want to watch Grave of the Fireflies, but I have yet to do <laughs> it because I know it's supposed to be incredibly depressing and mm-hmm. I just can't. Um, the Green Mile, I will only watch if I'm having a great day and <laughs> I want yeah, to ruin it, yeah. I guess, because <laughs> I cannot watch that movie without fucking sobbing like it's the end of the world yeah. at the end. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you needed a good cry, you know? You do. I mean, I cry at a stiff breeze, so <laughs> I got this down, but don't, <laughs> don't worry. Um, also, one of my most favorite movies, Life is Beautiful. I have to be in a really specific mood to watch it because it, it's just so much. It's such a, a journey of emotions. So, have you seen Life is Beautiful? I have not seen Life is Beautiful. Oh, maybe I should make you watch it. It is very old. It does not fall into our decade. <laughs> No, well, maybe we could just do it for fun sometime and yeah, like, not make it an episode. <laughs> oh, that's true. Watching movies for fun? What? <laughs> right? <laughs> I say that like I don't watch movies constantly. The the thing about the surprising but parable of the sower is like just how like prescient it kind of is mm-hmm. and like predictive it is, especially considered when it was written. Like you read it mm-hmm. and you will like you will notice like parallels with our current like politics and I- like ideology and what's going on in the world and in America specifically. And then like, you're reading all these things in this book and you're like, Oh, this must've been written recently. No, not really. I think it was uh, written in 93. I feel the same way about the handmaid's tale and a lot of Margaret Atwood's work because she has a really interesting focus on basically religion that runs out of control and men in power controlling women. And yeah, so I um I was in a bookstore recently and there was a card that made me giggle because it said um REM did not emotionally prepare me for the right feelings for the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, nice. that tracks. 
Um, yeah, because it is that. the end of the world and I don't really feel fine. So. Yeah, I really feel like that, like, uh, you know, I've had the idea to do this, but I'm not so musically inclined, but like someone needs to like redo that song with like all the shit that happened in 2020 mm-hmm. and just like all the, the zeitgeist of now yeah. and the song would still work. Just change out the, 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 the events with current events and the song just keeps working. I think the strangest thing about right now for me is how disparate different people's realities are, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you are going to interact with someone, you kind of have to put out little feelers to see, are you living on my planet or are you living on your planet, right? Right. Is it, are we going to have anything to talk about or is it going to be very clear that we don't have, yeah, we're not living in the same yeah, yeah, and it gets Time. weird too. As a white dude, like you just get assumed to be in a certain on a certain <laughs> understanding of of existence and like yeah. gives me an interesting window into how people who uh don't don't think like me think. Sometimes it's scary. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's like really fucking scary. Uh I'm going to cut this out cuz it's not part of the podcast that bring us down too much. But I was like in a car with a guy. And like we passed Planned Parenthood. Oh, no. Office? And the dude says someone should bomb that place. What? And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, you don't fucking know me. Yeah. The fuck's wrong with you saying shit like that? You should absolutely leave this in. But that's the perfect example, right? I was on a phone phone call randomly with someone who I was friends with a long time ago. I mean, it was kind of funny. I was trying to voice dictate messages while i was driving which i'm terrible mm. at or my phone is terrible at i don't know it does not work and it, it accidentally sent messages to someone i haven't talked to in a million years that did not make any sense to them but they messaged back and we're like oh yeah i miss you uh and so i called them to explain i'm so sorry i know i haven't <laughs> messaged you in five or six years and now you randomly get these weird messages from me uh how is it going and at some point you know it was it was great for a while and then it went into oh well, you know, this government is trying to force these vaccines on me. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, no. Um, just so everyone knows, vaccines have been mandatory for a lot of things for a very long time. School. And it's important because we are not old enough to remember polio, but polio remembers us. And so does measles. So if you don't want people to lose their children to measles get fucking vaccinated it is not that bad it's not going to give you autism also autism is not the worst thing that ever happened to someone fuck autism speaks because that's a terrible organization and yeah vaccinate your kids folks yeah there's like that's a whole conversation yeah there's a whole other conversation just in case just in case you were wondering (laughs) our stance on this and we got to talk about NPA ratings, the important things, Kate. We have important <laughs> things to talk about. Yeah. Um, like Planned Parenthood. Weird, that is... Weirdos who who want to censor movies. But yeah, Planned yeah. Parenthood. Or just people who will presume that they know your stance on things. I mean, I guess I kind yeah. of do that to people and then get surprised. One of the reasons mm-hmm. I like having a sort of alternative look and weird colored hair and whatever is so that people know immediately on the outside that I'm as weird as I am. (laughs) It's very handy, right? Like no one's going to come up to me and try to get me to register for the young Republicans. So, Mm. although I did have someone confuse me, uh, someone at work the other day thought that I was like 25 and I was like, Oh, you, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. She mentioned GeoCities. And I was like, oh, I had a GeoCities. And she's like, really? I was like, yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, man. I had a terrible GeoCities. I did, too. Mine was basically a really long list of the factual inaccuracies of SpongeBob just to oh, age wow. myself. Yeah. That's, that's actually way better than mine. Mine was just like a fanboy site. Oh, you know what? It wasn't GeoCities. It was like the, the competitor for GeoCities, Angel Fire. Oh, yeah. Angel Fire. I had Fire. an Angel Fire. It was a fan oh. site for, of all things, Gundam Wing. What? And it I was literally like a, Gundam Wing. Oh, man. When I was a kid, loved it. And the thing was, the website was stupid. Like, it was just like the things that you would find like in a wiki now. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think wikis were super huge at the, the time like there was mm-hmm. wikipedia but there was not like the individual little fan wikis yeah, and stuff the wiki as a as a yeah. media i guess so like it was just stuff like facts about gundam wing and like <laughs> you know i'd had like just you know links and html was so simple at the time like it was literally just like a list like you go on the page just like a list of blue links and like mm-hmm. purple links <laughs> like you hero what? yui and what's what's his deal um, I very, very strongly miss the early internet. And I really it was quite I have a hard time trying to convey to people how different it was yeah, than it yeah, is now, it, right? Yeah. It was like it it's wasn't even Wild West. It was like pre-Wild West. It was like yeah. primordial soup. The way that I think about it was it's sort of the difference between do you remember first Fridays at school? Oh shit. Uh okay, so when Matt and I went to college, there were these things where it was basically sort of like a technology-related flea market that happened under an overpass bridge. You know what I'm talking about, right? I do. I remember that now. Yeah. And yeah. so we would go in a big group once a month, and it was this weird assortment of people who, you know, some of them were selling stuff that clearly fell off the back of a truck. Yeah, some this was selling- this was clearly like black market bullshit. <laughs> like this was yeah. gray market, like weird, like this. What is but this doing? Was- Why am I buying this under an overpass <laughs> at midnight? <laughs> yeah, do you need a USB mouse and a self-heating can of soup? Come here. And a lockpick set. <laughs> Oh, yes. But it was it was fantastic, right? Every booth had something weird and different. And some of them were nicer than others. And some were like, oh, what's going on over here? I feel like that's the early internet, right? It was a a world full of mom and pop shops and flea markets. And everyone was as important as everyone else. And you kind of just wandered around and you didn't know you didn't know what you were going to find. And now the internet is a strip mall. One of the really big mm, ones yeah, for the, yeah. the parking lot is a maze and it keeps you in and you're like, would you like to go to this huge store or this other huge store that's owned by the same person? You yeah. Know? Yeah. So. So the Mission Picture Association. It <laughs> <laughs> was a very flawless transition, Matt. <laughs> I know. We're running out of time, Kate. <laughs> what? How much time do we have left? 28 minutes. Oh, my God. Why did we talk so long? Okay. So let me tell you what I think the MPAA <laughs> is yep. the rating oh, first wise. caveat first caveat okay. because because of the, the nature of what we're going to be talking about um involves a little bit of legal stuff um i am not a lawyer i'm i am 99 percent certain kate's not a lawyer but she's surprised me before <laughs> um <laughs> i am 99 sure i'm not a lawyer as well yeah anything we mention here that involves like we're going to bring up obscenity law we're going to bring up censorship um nothing i say should be considered um legal advice if you're you know <laughs> um 
or even legal analysis. This is really more of a historical thing, a historical lesson. And I'm yeah. probably wrong because I'm just some jackass with a film degree. So Pretend like, we're just two people you know, talking on a bus too loud. Yeah, that, that works. <laughs> anyway. Please don't cite us. Yeah, don't at me. <laughs> uh, Kate, what do you think about the MPA? So my understanding of ratings, as it were, is there's some sort of nebulous organization, probably of dudes that meet in a room, and they're probably drinking really expensive smoky whiskeys and smoking cigars, and all their chairs are too tufted. Have you seen Squid Game? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, I know I anyone, need to, but yeah. I have I have precious little time um, to a watch child. a whole lot of media that's yeah. I'm not watching for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you just started this podcast, so you'd have an excuse to watch movies. I know the truth. It's fine. Um, so <laughs> there's this part in Squid Game where there's all these rich dudes, and they are literally using humans as furniture. It's not important to the plot or anything. It's just like, all right, mm-hmm. cool. That's what I kind of imagine the MPAA is. It's a bunch of people who... Mm want to control media. But here's what I think their rating system is in a very general way. So like your G rating is you can play it in a dentist office. So then I think next it's PG-13, which is uh, you can play it for an elementary school sleepover, right? Like you might have a couple of scandalous words that kids will like, oh, Uh, and then PG-13 is, oh, I'm sorry, PG is after that, which is a little bit worse. I think. And so that is probably a couple of curse words, maybe some sexy women. And then you have, I think it just jumps to R. And then R is basically, this is an adult movie, which probably means there is breasts in it. And also lots and lots of violence, because for some reason, violence does not really change the ratings that much. And then you move to NC-17 which is probably just way more breasts or something more sexual because sex is bad. And then there's like the not rated versions of things, which is we didn't want to deal with the MPAA. So watch us make really terrible jokes at women's expense usually. And I I think that's it. But anyway, please tell me how wrong I am. Okay. Um, So I can't tell you how wrong you are, but there are, there's lots there to work with. Um, So you, Kind of, yeah. The Motion Picture Association is definitely like a nebulous group of people that they probably don't sit in smoky rooms because I'm under the impression that they're a bunch of religious nuts. Um, yeah, but that's the thing. They get together and then they do the things they know they're not supposed to, but they're all together, right, like so it's okay. Drinking the blood of children and, you know, adrenochrome. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is an excellent vintage. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so... <laughs> So the Motion Picture Association, according to according to the MPA, and I'm gonna keep calling them the MPAA because that's what they were for the longest time. They just changed their name to MPA like two years ago. Um, so it used mm-hmm. to be the Motion Picture Association of America. Now it's just the Motion Picture Association. We must spread our censorship everywhere. Yeah. So they're an 11 member board made up of quote. Ostensibly, this is according to them, parents who are not employed by the entertainment industry. Now, there's a lot about that statement that just plain ain't true, um, or historically hasn't been true. And there was, uh, there's actually been the whole movie about that that is um, a really good source of information about the MPA called This Film Is Not Yet Rated. It was produced by Netflix back in the day, but I don't think it's any longer on Netflix. I don't know where to find it anymore. 
but clearly it, it was, was really, it's a really good, really eye-opening film on, on just how stupid some of this bullshit is. So like some of, some of the members in that film, when they, when they did, it was like 2007, I think, uh, some of those guys were not parents. <laughs> some of those guys <laughs> were employed by the entertainment industry. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's, it's just bullshit all around. Um, it's You're not telling me gover- they're not who they say they are. Yeah. And it's, and it's not specifically, it's not a government organization, right? Because that would, that would entail government censorship. If the government was telling you what your film should be rated, then that opens up a Pandora's box of issues. So this is like an independent organization with under, with no real oversight. They're they're just an organization. You submit your film to them and they rate it, right? And that's and you use that for your marketing or whatever. Sort of like the uh, Democratic and Republican National Committees, right? When I was young, I right, used to think, oh yeah. yeah, this is clearly a very very serious governmental thing. And then I learned, oh, this is just a bunch of people who everyone just listens to. And they're private organizations. I feel so betrayed. Yeah, yeah. It's so. Um, how do they decide the ratings? Uh, nobody fucking knows. Oh, it's it's a complete fucking secret. Like, like they don't reveal scores. any information about how or why decisions are made. And I'm pretty sure they will like retaliate badly if you try to challenge and? them on things. Yeah. Wow. So, um. The association won't even reveal to the filmmaker the specific scenes that need to be cut to get an alternate rating. Wow. And up until about 2007, when that film I mentioned came out, mm-hmm. you couldn't even reference other films and their ratings to appeal your rating. Wow. So it's, it's not, it's, there's no rule for them that they have to be consistent with what's rated what. Do they it's actually completely watch whatever the movie? they decide. They do. They, they, as far as I understand, they will do a, they do a screening of the film with all the members and then they get together and hem and haw about what the rating should be. Um, surprisingly, this results in big, big budget studio movies being rated much, much more leniently than independent films. What? No. Shock. (laughs) Pikachu face. Pikachu Um, face. So the, the, uh, the current ratings are, um, G for general audiences means pretty much anybody can watch this film. It's no big deal. Um, and then it's PG, um, which is uh, parental guidance suggested. Um, some material not suitable for children. Um, parents urged to give guidance and may even contain stuff that parents don't want for their young children. But like, you know, seven, eight, nine, probably fine. And then uh, PG 13 is parental guidance for children under 13 um parents strongly cautioned um oh, so that parents one's worse are, than pg yes pg-13 is worse than pg okay and pg-13 um we'll get, we'll get into this a little bit more later but pg-13 actually didn't even exist until 1984 um when it got introduced it actually pretty much exists because of uh steven spielberg oh um, whose big blockbuster films were rated PG at the time, like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, but mm-hmm. clearly contained some things that a lot of parents weren't like super happy with, like the heart getting ripped out of the chest thing and uh, some languages, like just some concepts, I guess, that were talked about, that kind of thing. Um, you know, Jaws was a really big, like, that one was also like, ah, people didn't like that being PG, but it wasn't clearly wasn't enough for an R rating. Interesting, especially because they're like, well, we're not going to tell you why. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
So I think the first the first PG thirteen film was actually uh, Red Dawn. Never um, seen Red Dawn. Oh, that was you know cute, fun eighties film propaganda. <laughs> the military is um, great. Yeah, kill the communists. <laughs> With a bunch of kids in the PNW <laughs> taking out the commies. Yeah, <laughs> like we do. Like you do. Um, and then after PG thirteen is R or restricted. If you're under 17, it requires the accompanying of a parent or adult guardian. Um, contains or adult material, you know, nudity. I think, like, at one point, brief nudity was okay for PG-13. And then, mm. like, anything more than that. Or it was like, brief nudity is okay for PG-13. But anything sexual, even if it's brief, um, any sexual nudity or, or long screen time nudity makes well, it automatically R. As um, we know in America, any nudity is sexual. So Right, yeah. <laughs> of course. Other countries, nudity is okay, you know, but for some reason, this American nudity, it's a it's a particular flavor. Um, and then after R is NC-17, no one 17 and under admitted. Clearly adult, children are not admitted. And that's a pretty uncommon rating because most people don't want to get that, right? Yeah, it's it's uncommon because it kills your commercial chances of success. A lot of theaters won't carry NC-17. Which is, you know, interesting because before NC-17, um, which was, I think, introduced in the 1990, um, instead of NC-17, they had what was rated called Rated X. Oh, yeah. I did. I was going to mention X because I was like, I feel like there was an X, but I haven't heard yeah. about it in a while. So, so X, X was the original um, adults-only rating, and it was a legitimate rating. 1969, Midnight Cowboy won Best Picture. for mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, Clockwork Orange was rated X. Okay, that's appropriate. Clockwork oranges. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oof. <I won't> <laughs> but the problem with X was the MPAA did not copyright the X rating. And it became basically just a marketing tool for porn. I was just going to say it was the porn industry, wasn't it? It was. Like they started using it to, to, market, um, to market their... Their pieces and like so X kind of like fell out of use and and we like should do an episode. It got about real popular. <laughs> how the porn industry pushes technology forward? That would be interesting. Like there, where there's did a Betamax lot go there, yeah. Because we got VHS for a reason, you know. Yeah, and it was those kind. Of, it was porn that kind of like helped establish a lot of our current obscenity and censorship laws, uh, mm -hmm. often for the better, which you wouldn't expect. When it became NC seventeen. Um, originally 1990, NC-17 meant uh, under 17 wasn't allowed. So if you were 17, you were allowed to go see the film. Mm -hmm. um, but in 96, I want to say, they changed it. So it was 17 and under is no longer allowed. But they wanted to keep the NC-17 title, I guess. They didn't want to see NC-18. but 17 <laughs> has a better ring to it. Yeah. Yeah, so the ratings have changed a lot over the years, right? I think originally the ratings were G, M, R, and X. Oh. So G was, was general audience, same as G now. That one hasn't changed. M is what we now call PG. Um, M was for mature audiences, parental discretion advised. Um, and then R, the same uh, persons under 16 not admitted unless accompanied by a parent or guardian. And then X, persons under 16 not admitted. Um, and that was from uh, in like 1968 when, uh, when the MPA was established and replaced the old Hayes Code, which that's a thing. 
We'll get to the Hays code. code. There's a lot there. But before, I, we should probably talk a little bit more about, about the establishment of the MPA. It all starts with a guy named Jack Valenti. Um, he was born to two Italian immigrants in Houston, Texas. Uh, he worked in advertising, for, mostly for oil companies. Um, and while he was doing that is when he met the, at the time, Senate Majority Leader Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm. <laughs> Good old LBJ. He is one. He is my favorite president. Just to just to be clear, so yeah, I've got a lot of weird thoughts about LBJ. I do too. He was a little too obsessed with his package. He was but. really obsessed with his package. No, you don't understand. You have to make the pants bigger. They're too tight. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Simmer down, LBJ. <laughs> you got to make it easier for me to flop out in the middle of a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> So he so after meeting LBJ, after a while, he started working in political consulting for uh, for Johnson. And then uh, he served as the media liaison for JFK and then LBJ after the assassination. Um, he was actually present at LBJ swearing in on Air Force One. Mm. And then in 66, he with with Johnson's blessing, he left. Um, political service and became president of the MP, the, the fledgling MPAA that he created essentially. Yeah. Like he was like kind of the founding creator of it. Right. Like it was probably was like coming together and they, they reached out to this guy and they're like, Hey, you should, mm. you should uh, lead us. Was um, he religious? I don't know specifically about what his, was his impulse to create this rating organization. Um, so Basically, the the Hayes Code, um, which was the previous kind of like agreement that all the Hollywood studios used to create media, was becoming less and less effective as a as a means of controlling the the output of of filmmakers. Were there a lot of so, angry parents or something? Yeah, well, there, <laughs> we'll get into it. <laughs> there's like because there's actually like a lot of like weird law stuff involved with that. Um, like that involves like a obscenity law and like whether or not the first amendment applies to films. Mm -hmm. um, so just to give you an idea though, of what kind of person Jack Valenti was or yeah, was cause he, he passed uh, in the early two thousands. I want to say um, he hated Betamax and home recording. <clears throat> he hated screeners being sent out. For like Academy Awards, they send you the they send the members a screener so they can watch mm -hmm. the films. So he the dude was like and he, he was very like big money Hollywood. He only wanted he wanted to control that money. So he hated Betamax, he hated VHS, he hated home recording, he hated screeners being sent out. He lobbied heavily for the DMCA. Of course. So he's kind of a big tool. <laughs> right? Like the biggest tool. Yeah. What was he making like a lot of money from? People being from Hollywood, I guess. Like, I mean, why, I imagine. Why? I mean, being the gatekeeper, he was right. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, he be, and he was. He's been a lobbyist his entire life, right? So, yeah, I'm sure he had his hands in all of kinds of pots to, to do that, right? I guess as you become a lobbyist and you get more and more into that, you start to think that your opinions matter more and more. Basically, the Hayes Code was kind of weakening in, like, I think in 1952. Sorry, we're going to go way back here for a minute. All right, take me on a journey, um, Matt. 
The Industrial Commission of Ohio in 1915, um, that was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. Um, they ruled by a, a nine, oh, nine to nothing vote that free speech protection of did not ex- they, they, the Ohio free speech amendment to their constitution did not extend to motion pictures. What? Which set a precedent about like you know that the free speech and motion pictures like did not does not apply. Wow. So, yeah, free speech has always been kind of like, I mean, it's always been debated, right? <laughs> like, what is free speech? Everyone likes to say that, like, oh, freedom of speech, free speech, free, free speech. But, like, yeah. there's, a lot, there's a lot of caveats with that. It's not a given. Mm-hmm. So, like, in order to keep from being censored, the Hollywood studios decided to agree to the Hayes Code, which was, like, a really weird, super Puritan like restriction of all things, even vaguely sexual or immoral, right? Immoral um, as determined by yeah. somebody named Hayes? Yes. <laughs> yes, actually. The the Hayes Code was like kind of this thing established in 1930, um, named after its creator, William H. Hayes. Um it was basically introducing film censorship to the U.S., um, laying down a series of guidelines. Um, the idea was that if motion pictures present stories that will affect lives for the better, they can become powerful force for improvement of mankind, and then the implication that the opposite is uh, true. So, <laughs> Or it can help us degrade into sinfulness. Yeah. So the idea behind the code, the, this was like a bunch of basic laws. Like It was like three basic laws that turned into like a laundry list of shit that cannot go in the film. Um, so like no picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Um, oh the, hence, the, the sympathy of the audience should never be thrown to the side of the bad guy, basically. Oh, but those are the good movies. Yeah. Um, oh, no. Correct standards of life. Oh, no. This sounds like some white-ass um, bullshit. Subject only to the requirements for drama and entertainment shall be presented. <clears throat> and Is this why, like, the whole 1950s, two beds and a nightstand exa- in between? Yep. That's why, it's, why, it's why Lucy and uh, Ricardo slept in Ricardo different beds. Slept in different beds. Mm-hmm. Um, law, natural or human, shall not be ridiculed, nor shall sympathy be created for its violation. And this became just like a fucking laundry. Uh, one foot on the floor during bedroom scenes. No white slavery. No silhouettes of nudity. No well, black glamorous. Black slavery is okay. Yeah, black, black slavery, slavery is obviously. Okay. Yeah, all right. Uh... No glamorous safe cracking. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Glamorous safe cracking would be A, a great band name, and B, now I really just want to learn to crack safes and get a really nice ball gown. Yeah. (laughs) No interracial relationships. Because this is this this keep in mind, 1930s, right? Mm -hmm. So indecent dances are forbidden. What is an indecent dance? No lustful kissing. (laughs) No funny religious figures. Wow. Uh, no selling women. Unless they're black. Only, yeah, no disrespectful use of the flag. So not only are films not subject to free speech, they're like really not subject to free speech yeah. laws. Yeah, and well, and this, and this, this code was developed to try and prevent 
the U.S. government from stepping in and censoring Hollywood, basically. <laughs> By letting someone else do it. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> um, yep. Um, another weird thing about, like, because up until 1930, like, there was, like, a lot of, like, really, you know, pretty left, pretty progressive films being made, um, mostly by a lot of really interesting filmmakers, um, a lot of outside the outside the the mainstream filmmakers. There was, like, lots of, like, just, like, a lot of, this was before a lot of civil rights development stuff. This was, like, mm-hmm. a lot of, like, really strong women filmmakers. You had, like, the, 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 the flappers. Um, yeah. you know, Betty Boop, like all kinds of like, what would at the time was considered sexual deviancy. I was always was, really confused by Betty Boop. Well, the thing about the Betty Boop is actually one of the direct, like, kind of like, there's a line from Betty Boop to the Hays Code because there's like a point where the Hays Code goes into effect and Betty Boop's entire character design changes. Yeah. Cause now she's wearing clothes and yeah. being a little bit different. Yeah. Like longer skirt, less ruffles on the skirt because you know, yeah. ruffles. Ruffles drive him into madness. Drive a man to madness, rather. Yeah. Clearly. Um, so uh, it was till like 1952 um, in uh, where there was kind of some First Amendment protection of films. Is there, has there ever been pushback from filmmakers about this whole rating system? Like, is there an underground series of films that we can watch that just don't even submit themselves to the MPAA or does the MPAA go looking for films or do you have to send it to them for like, how do, how do they, how do they use their iron fist to control this? If you're, if you're a commercial film trying to make money, you want your film to be rated because Mm -hmm. most major theater chains Mm -hmm. will not take your film if it's not MPAA rated. Like, that's like their independent decision, right? Because it's all marketing and liability and blah, 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 blah. Do you think that will change with the rise of streaming services? I mean, it already kind of has. Okay. Um, But if you're a big Hollywood film, you want that theater box office. So you're getting Mm -hmm. MPA rated. Independent films, there are are a few that don't get rated, but usually it's it's a thing that you want to send in and get rated for marketing purposes. I guess that's fair. I just hate it. So we're still on the Hays Code. We'll get back to the, we're about to get back to, um, to the MPAA. But, um, so 1952 film was starting to get protected by the first amendment after a court case involving like a theater owner versus like a state and whether or not a film was considered obscene. Um, because first amendment does not protect obscenity, um, in any form. And so, well, that's a huge fucking loophole. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's what that's the legal battle that started to happen in the fifties and sixties is what constituted obscenity. The Supreme Court actually did rule on obscene. Finally, yeah, like, like in nineteen fifty seven. When I see it, is that where that came from? That court case is involved. Okay. Um, uh, in what can be kind of so. Basically, it was started for obscenity law. Really started way back in the fucking eighteen hundreds. Was all about curtailing pornography right it's always been about sex uh the first obscenity prosecution in the u.s was like 1815 um during like the second great awakening um what was even out that was obscene uh you know early photography or you know there's a there was a there was a bar owner uh who was charged for exhibiting an image of like a man in a in a quote obscene and impudent 
impudent, and indecent posture with a woman. So, the, the, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court at the time held that because the exposure was lascivi- of lascivious images could corrupt the morals of young people by inflaming their passions, it was a fit subject for criminal prosecution. So, that was kind of the beginning of obscenity law in the U.S. Um, you know, honestly, I always feel really bad for these guys' wives. Every time, right? Like, there's all these guys, and they're like, oh, we can't be having this lascivious passion and flaming. You know, you see an ankle and you're driven to madness. I feel like that problem's yours, not mine. So, so, so even back then, like, like, it didn't really go anywhere. The obscenity law, like, that pornographic content is just too damn popular. (laughs) Like, people love them some naked ladies. So, like, that was not gonna, that was never gonna go anywhere. Like, even back then. Um, and then, and then in the 1860s, um, guess who worked overtime to get like obscenity laws like on the books, like in New York, so that it could spread to the rest of the states? I don't know. Tell me. The YMCA. Oh yeah, the Christian organization. The Young Man's Christian Association. Of all fucking like, like <laughs> nowadays we th- we look at the YMCA. It's like it's a fucking gym, and it's a, f- it's a fun song by a bunch of. No, gay I dudes. still see it as a, like, <laughs> as a Christian organization. Largely, I mean, I do think they yeah. do a lot of good things for the community, but they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So, like, obscenity laws and censorship has always been so closely intertwined with like crazy evangelical super Christian types. 1860s YMCA was among those. Um, 1873. We had the first big broad law, that kind of banned obscenity, signed by Ulysses S. Johnson. But like by the 1900s, people didn't give a shit. Like porn was still just too popular. Like all these laws passed, and people just don't care. They want them. They want them some porn. And so over those years, like the courts consistently struggled to give a clear, consistent answer on what obscenity was. Yeah, you can't control something you can't define. Yeah. Also, it's so interesting that rather than just trying to work with this and make it, it's the same, it's the it's the knee-jerk response to everything, right? Oh, this is bad, ban it, instead of let's mm-hmm. figure out a way to make sure that it's done in a safe and healthy way, right? No, we can't you know? have that. No, Like, fuck the that. porn industry is terribly rife with exploitation and all kinds of terrible business practices because no one wants to touch it and just be like, you know what? This is a thing that exists. We need to, it it would be like (laughs) the physical example would be like, you know what? We don't like garbage. So we're just not going to deal with it. So everyone has to deal with their own garbage. And now tech daddy will save us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Uh, So finally in 1964, the courts is getting their shit together. Um, It was a, in Jacob Ellis versus Ohio, they decided that the Constitution protected all obscenity um, except for hardcore pornography. Um, and uh, the, the, like the justice who wrote the main opinion, uh, he wrote, I shall not today attempt to further define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within that shorthand description, and perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so, but I know it when I see it, and the motion picture involved in this case is not that. So, like, that's where you first see, I know it when yeah. I see it. That's a classic now, quote. I, don't, I course, can't define that, obscenity, but I know it yeah. when I see it. Right, which, of course, is not good legal. Like, that's not yeah, good law. Like, that's fucking right. shit law. This leaves it widely open to people just putting their, their own moral imperatives 
around yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's bullshit. So 1973, it goes to court. Like, we keep talking about obscenity still. 1973, Miller versus California. They finally established, like, kind of like the three prevailing um, rules for obscenity that we use today. It's, and it's these three rules. The first rule is whether the average person applying contemporary community standards could find the work taken as a whole to appeal to prurient interests. Purient being like a lustful or arousing of sexual desire. So like it can't be can't be horny. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are people who have sexual relationships with their cars. So does that mean like Fast and Furious? Totally out because those movies, damn. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it has to it has to satisfy all three of these to be obscenity. Gotcha. Right. So just because it's horny doesn't mean it's obscenity. It okay. needs to, to follow. It needs to be the next two as well. So the, the rule two is whether the work depicts or describes in a patently offensive way the sexual content or uh, sexual conduct or excretory functions specifically defined by applicable state law. So you have to like offensively depict sexual conduct or excretory functions. Okay, but what about like really beautiful porn, right? Like, well, that's the, this is this is the third rule. But you said it had to be all three. It is. So the third rule is whether the work taken as a whole lacks any literary, artistic, or political or scientific value. That's a very broad definition. It is. So it's very hard to be because anybody you can argue that it's literary and then it's not obscene. You can argue argue it's artistic. Yeah. So literary, artistic, political, or scientific means that. If, if your work is any of those things, it's not obscenity. Mm. So given that very broad c- kind of caveat, obscenity today is mostly relegated to sex abuse images. Okay. That actually feels appropriate. Yeah. So, yeah. And this was 73. Um, happened during probably a good time in, you know, U.S. cultural feelings. There's sexual revolution, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so those three laws, I feel like, are very pretty solid. You have to meet all three of those conditions to be obscenity. Okay. You know, with all of this talk about obscenity and protecting film under free speech, the Hayes Code just became less and less important. Um, and so, and there were f- films started to get made in the like kind of 60s and 70s that were not, did not follow the Hayes Code and yet were huge commercial successes. Um, mostly sexploitation films. Oof. So the Hollywood industry saw sexploitation films that were running in these like rundown urban theaters Mm-hmm. making money hand over fist. And they're like, well, we want, we want some money. <laughs> we, we like money too. Mm, money's great. Please, sir, can I have some money? And so they dropped the fucking ace code, but they wanted something else instead. And then like, they came, became this kind of theory of like, we're no longer censoring the films. We are letting the customer choose for themselves mm-hmm. what's appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the that's how that's why the MPA was established. Okay. Um, now there's a lot of problems with the MPA. The they're they're harsher on independent films. Yeah. It's, also incredibly opaque and yeah, it's incredibly opaque. The emphasis has always been on sex and not violence. Of course. Um, mostly it's a marketing tool for the major studios. Uh, and then, like I said earlier, pre two thousand seven, you couldn't even you couldn't even reference other movies to appeal the rating your film got. <laughs> so, like if 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 you had all the same bad things in your film as another film, and you got rated harsher, you couldn't say, "Hey, but you know, Die Hard got a whatever." 
Yeah. Um, I bet like they could make this process better. They could do a double blind thing where they don't know what studio it comes from. Everyone watches it independently and then rates it. And then you take some sort of weighted average. I don't know. There's ways that you could do this better. There's a lot of ways they could do it a whole shit ton better. And like, I have so much more I want to say. We're running low on time um, that we just skimmed the surface of. Mm-hmm. But I think like the the super bottom line of this is that the MPAA are just a bunch of fucking weirdos, <laughs> right? Like they're a bunch of fucking weirdos who rate movies, and then but who gets to choose them? Like, is it is it like an inherited thing? Like, is it like a Highlander thing? Do I have to kill one of the MPAA <laughs> members to nobody knows take over? Because it's it's, it's it's purposely opaque. Right? Do do we know who they are? Right uh, now, n- no. So, so I can't send them a bag of dog poop in the mail. No, you cannot. That's and that's the like. I mean, they can pretend impartiality because of that. I guess I don't know, but mm-hmm. like really. So basically, uh, in 2007, there was the film. Um, not this film is not yet rated. Mm-hmm. It's a documentary, and mm-hmm. in that film, they do a lot of detective work to find out who the members of the MPAA are. And that's basically what the film is about. It's about them finding out who their board members are. I need to are. go watch this film. And like, then, and also like a history and all the terrible things about the MPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, at the end of the film, they submit the film for rating. <laughs> I was going to ask, what is it rated? So like all these, like these board members are watching themselves get identified and outed and like, one of the guys had no children, you know, and he, mm-hmm. but he thought he might have children one day. <laughs> and like, so there was a that. time where, where they knew who all the MPA members are. I don't know if they still, some of those guys still might be members. They might've left. Um, they changed some rules, I think, as a result of that film. Um, like now you can yeah, but appeal, if, but. If you don't know, you can't, they're like, there's no one controlling these people, right? We don't know who they are. We yeah. don't know the rules. They're just right. sitting in uh, like the the entertainment industry is fucking enormous too. Yeah. It's huge. It's enormous and nepotistic powerful. as fuck. Yeah. yeah. This is ridiculous. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. This is horrible. Yeah, it's just let's, it's let's just a bunch of fucking weirdos. Yeah. It'll be the salt level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a bunch of fucking weirdos. You send your movie to them and they tell you whether or not you're gonna make money. Yeah, which like, is <laughs> ridiculous and they get to decide they get to decide cultural standards Mm -hmm. and i guarantee you they're probably not on the cusp of it like i bet it this is not a diverse group i bet it's all white Mm -hmm. i would bet money on that not very much because i don't have a lot but i would bet it yeah i think that's i think it's a good place to stop for this unless we just go on forever um which (laughs) i could trust me i could um for further reading though you could there's actually like a good like uh, screenonline.org.uk mm-hmm. of all places has like a really good like kind of cliff notes version of some of the Hayes Code stuff and some some of the MPA stuff and censorship. And then uh, another a good book that I'm going to be referencing a lot on Light Salt um, is actually a textbook I got in college called America on Film by uh, Harry M. Benchoff and Sean Griffin. Benchoff was actually a professor at my program. Um, I never actually had him as a teacher. Um, but the book, America on Film, representing race, class, gender, and sexuality at the movies, is just a great primer on a lot of these issues and kind of like how, how film has always been political, <laughs> as is going to be like super obvious in the next few light salts. <laughs> um, yes. Also, the American Bar Association, has um, their website has some good stuff on 
on obscenity law as well. And we'll have a few other links uh, in the in the show notes for you if you want or if you are interested in learning more. Yeah, and I'd be really curious to maybe in a future episode explore how these ratings affect movies internationally. Yeah, yeah, because well, the the MPA ratings, and maybe this is why they rebranded, because the MPA ratings pretty much only as- apply here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, they're rated these things in other countries, but a lot of other countries have their own um, their own acceptable standards for mm-hmm. ratings and their own rating system. Because the MPA is very uh, North America centric, it's it's mm-hmm. very much like our values and our moralities. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. you know, even UK or Germany is very different standards, and they have their own ratings boards. And I think. Um, you know, and a lot of those can be, are depending on the country, government controlled rather than just an independent org. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's very informative. Thank you. I've learned a lot today. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot there. And I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. There's a whole I lot know. I wanted to say that I didn't even get into. Well, maybe we just need to do it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, all right. I think that'll do it for today's episode. Um, thank all of you wonderful people out there for joining us. And if you like it, let us know with a review or a sub on your platform of choice. If we're not there, let us know. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, also, we have our site up, mediumsalt.com. It's pretty cool. If you feel like buying us a coffee. <laughs> yeah, if you feel like buying us coffee, we're, we're set up there. Um, you know, or check us out on Twitter at medium underscore salt. Uh, tell your friends. Yeah, tell anyone who would actually like us. Do not send us to your parents. Yeah, unless your parents are cool. Unless your parents are cool. Don't send Don't send us to my parents. Yeah, don't send it to my parents. <laughs> They're probably already listening. Oh. Hmm. Hi, Matt's parents. Yeah, hi. Have a great week, and as always... Stay salty. Stay salty. I jumped the gun on the stay salty this time. I just get excited about it. I cannot believe you. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs>